Get ready for episode 39 of the Insecurity Show. Log all the things. Visit our website at in-security.org for show notes, past episodes, and to leave comments. Send us email at feedback at in-security.org. Follow us on Twitter at Insecurity Show and rate and review us on iTunes. My name is Max. And my name is Matt. How you doing this week, buddy? Oh, man, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm pretty good. I had uh, an exciting little time there a couple weekends ago. What uh, would you get up to? I spoke at my first security conference ever, something called B-Sides in Toronto. That is pretty awesome. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Did a, a talk called Weaving Security Blankets, and uh, it was about a little bit more advanced than the normal stuff that we're doing. It's kind of what I've been doing in my day job recently. So, I mean, there's that. It was uh, first talk ever, so I was pretty nervous. And now I have a whole new respect for people that do speaking at conferences. Public speaking. That's the one. Right. But it's more than public speaking because I, you know, do presentations at work all the time. I don't have a problem with that. It's there's just something about a conference where people are actually paying money to see you talk. It's a, an extra level of pressure. Fair enough. Absolutely justifiable. So... It would be really cool if anyone wants to check out this this talk that you did. Um, is there a way that they can do that? Well, they can look at the show notes for this episode, which would be at in-security.org slash EP039. The only news I've got is I broke my keyboard recently and I had to replace it. The one that I've got has new programmable keys, which makes editing better. But other than that, I got nothing, man. How about we get on with the show? I think we got a, an interesting one today. Max. What is the show about this week? Why the show this week is just an overview of logging. And uh, I brought along a special guest to help explain it. Is it a lumberjack? Oh, I see. Because of logs. How clever. Not really. So, hey, I brought along a special guest, Alan Stajanovic. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Hello. Hey, Alan. I saw Alan talk at B-Sides in Toronto couple weekends ago. Sorry, what is B-Sides again? Uh, B-Sides is a security conference. It is the flip side to a major security conference from the grassroots. And it's typically the like a, a record or a tape would have a side A and a side B. So B-Sides. So like maybe not the big hit singles everyone's familiar with, but the great alternative content that people are after? Or you know, giving people a crack at first time speaking ever. As you just did. Very cool. I think there's one extra angle there that you've forgotten. The B-Sides is also non-profit. Ah. So the idea there is to actually get people out to security conference at an extremely cheap price to be able to see what's going on in the industry without having to worry about the vendor flood that they might get later. Very true. And Alan did a B-Sides talk this year, and he also did a B-Sides talk last year, and it was all on the topic of logging. That's correct. And reviewing logs and doing analysis in logs. So I thought to myself, you know, it's, it's interesting. I've talked a little bit about logging on the show before, but I never actually said how you gain the information out of the logs and, and going into a little bit more detail. We've talked a lot of details about a lot of things, but let's get somebody who knows what they're talking about for logging on the show. <laughs> One of the things that, that's uh, come up again and again around logging or just getting logs together that's very, very interesting is a lot of people are talking about getting the logs and then viewing them in such a way to actually have what they call actionable events. So the angle that I've taken is not just about the gathering the logs, but also in having what I've termed a tactical defense strategy 
around those logs. So something to do with them. It's not enough just to have logs, although, you know, if you're all you're looking for is your audit compliance, that is definitely your step one, uh, but actually being able to do something with them. So that's the uh, the one of the angles that I've been trying to take in in this investigation, in this uh, in this capabilities that I've been pursuing for the last little while. So I think maybe it'd be good to take a step back and say, what do we need to do in the first place? Or I guess more conceptually, what's so good about logs and logging and looking through logs? Actually, before we even go that far, I'm going to uh, I'm going to see if we can't dumb it down a little bit further even. All right. When we are talking about logs in this case, what exactly are we referring to? Are we looking at server logs? Are we looking at network traffic logs? What what sort of logs are we looking for <laughs> and what what are we discussing here? Well, the short answer to that is yes, <laughs> but really what we're looking at is anytime there's an action that is done on any particular kind of device, server, laptop, computer, phone, whatever, there can be a log of that action, something that actually indicates that it happened. Now, classically, the logs are usually coverages around, was there an error? Did it work? Or was it success? You know, did it, uh, did it work all the way through? The easiest to understand example there is a simple login. So if somebody tries to log in, to a system and they fail to type in the password correctly, there will be a log generated that shows that there was an error, usually stating that such and such a user, such a user ID tried to log in at such and such a time and failed. If they successfully log in, the opposite happens, of course, in that the same information is there, except it'll say that it was a successful login. That is a a basic log entry, for instance. Uh, Other log entries that become interesting is things like, let's say you have a web server, and when that web server starts up, it will generate an entry, a log entry that simply says it successfully started or failed to start. So these are some of the types of logs that I look at on a daily basis. So those are server logs and client logs to a certain degree. Then on the network logs, there are other bits and pieces, especially around the allow and deny capabilities. Like, for instance, a firewall will have a log entry that will tell you whether the particular type of traffic has successfully gone over a firewall or through a firewall, if you prefer, or been denied by the firewall. It will also go as far as tell you which rule allowed it or denied it, and of course, when it was allowed or denied. So a timestamp is associated with it as well. And the reason we want to do this in, in the beginning is to kind of rebuild these events, right? In case something goes wrong or to, uh, like you said, create actionable intelligence out of it where we can see see what? Yes, where we, where we can see Well, basically what happened? Anybody that is doing anything in IT will have some level of logging that they're already looking at for their own purposes. A networking guy may be looking at the logs that he's got just to confirm that everything's working correctly or to alert him when something's not working correctly. So if a particular problem happens, that he can actually go in and fix that problem before it becomes a big problem so that he's fixing the problem before there is um, an outcome. Somebody somewhere has pointed this out to him. If he can fix it before the end user notices that there is a problem or reroute around the problem, then it becomes uh, a, a useful, actionable item. Okay, so this is kind of like what we were talking about with software development before in previous episodes where we said, if you discover the problem up front, then uh, there's a reduced cost and less effort to fix the problem 
rather than catch it later. Absolutely. Is this the same type of thing? That is absolutely the same type of thing. And in programming, in in, uh, application programming specifically, there's an extra angle here as well in that as applications themselves generate their own log sets, those logs can also provide uh, a, a larger context to what's going on. So for instance, if you access a particular application, you log into that application, log generated. That application connects to the database, log generated. It extracts a certain subset of information from the database to feed back to the user, log generated. It formats that information for the user, log generated. And then the user makes a follow-up action, another log generated. Or in the case of software like my version of Windows, the only thing it seems to do right is generate a log after it's crashed to let you know what it did wrong. Uh, yes. (laughs) I'm just trying Um, to tie it down to, you know, my real everyday life, like virtually minutes before when I tried to restart (laughs) everything and then, you know. Yes, at the simplest level, you're absolutely correct Um, with even more logs. Right. And to actually get to this point, it takes a lot of effort to figure out kind of what you want to log, right? Or do you just turn on everything? That is kind of a still a bit of a holy grail in the industry itself. Uh, What I end up doing because of the nature of the stuff that I'm looking at is I try to log everything. I start with the idea of logging everything and then I will pull back on the things that I find that I can't use. Once you're like, oh my God, there's so many logs being generated. Absolutely. There is gigs and gigs and terabytes of logs, like crazy, crazy amounts, depending on uh, what you're actually taking your logs from. And there will always be tons and tons of logs. Sadly, that's the, the nature of this particular game. So finding your way through those logs becomes the more important piece there. Um, Now, a lot of people, because of lack of processing, lack of space, lack of storage, they'll actually try to go the other way. They'll start with, well, let's just log this. Let's just log the uh, critical log entries off the servers, for instance, which is a great place to start. I mean, it's uh, I'm not saying that uh, that's necessarily wrong or bad, but uh, depending on how close you are to the machine and whether you actually run that machine or not, you might choose to log everything and then decide after the fact. It's always good to have a little bit more because if you can go back in the history after things have happened that you may not have known, you can actually find out even more things about what's going on. Right. So I think we're talking kind of about the forensic benefits of logs right now, right? Where things are logged and you can see by correlating a bunch of these different log sources together, like your example, the Windows operating system launched an application, a user logged into it, then it communicated to the database, right? You can start building out what exactly happened if you get enough logs from enough different sources. Yes, correct. That auditability becomes a very key piece. Do we not have an example of that that we talked about recently where by somebody turning on logging everything they ended up um, identifying a, a massive problem was that heartbleed or the uidh tags or something like that yeah i believe that was heartbleed okay yeah i believe in heartbleed people were actually looking at the https headers and seeing this information going through actually no you're right the uidh was the same as well right people started to log things that they weren't initially logging by logging all the things and then they said well, this is weird. How come this is in there? I do believe that there was some shell shock that showed up that way as well, especially when it wasn't successful. Wow, there you go. So I guess what we're saying is log all the things and then you discover all sorts of things you never thought existed before. Yes, yes, correct. Uh, I 
that is a cornerstone of the way that I believe that some of this stuff needs to be needs to be run. A lot of this stems from a, a bit of a historic here. So a lot of this stems from the idea of uh, finding myself in situations dealing with a lot of people that are, let's say, sysadmins for 30, 40, 50, 100 machines. And when something goes wrong, their, their first instinct for some reason, a lot of the time, has not been to actually go read the logs. Which is which was very very strange to me because when I was still a sysadmin, that was the first place you looked. Did I get a log? Was there something to look at? Uh, was there an error message that I could Google or trace out or something? Rather than the oh, well, let's try it again and see if it fails again. You know, let's turn it off, turn it on again, and see if it happens again. To me, that's never been a really good solution. But then again, I'm the guy that complains when Windows pops up and says, please contact your system administrator. I'm the guy screaming at the screen, but I am the system administrator. <laughs> So it becomes particularly, you know, interesting and difficult. It drives me nuts that uh, the logs are not the first place to go. It further find it very frustrating when the logs don't actually provide the right levels of information to be able to give you what you're hoping to get. So turning on all the things and then tuning them so that the various logs that you can get from the systems gives you something useful is step one. Immediate step two is actually centralizing these. Sorry, centralizing? The logs. Okay. So here's the deal. As you go through your systems, right, uh, when you find yourself in a situation that a particular system, let's pretend you've got a system that's crashing all the time and you can't really figure out what, but on some systems, at least older systems, maybe not so much today, some systems actually lose their logs or lose that state that they had when they reboot. So now you don't know why they're crashing. So one of the things to avoid that situation is to actually send those logs to a different machine. Right. And then you can read it on the other machine, no matter what state your source machine is in, so that you can figure out what went wrong and go about fixing them. Right. So also if a machine blows up and you want to figure out what made it blow up, right? If you mm -hmm. take all of those logs at the machine level and also put it in a centralized location that collects all of these logs, right? Then you have a, a place to look when things go wrong. Correct. If yes. you can't trust the state of a machine too, because, you know, sometimes malicious folks will run programs on a machine and then wipe the logs. That is absolutely correct. And we haven't even started talking about the security aspects of the logs yet. Okay. But you're absolutely correct. There are uh, tools that are specifically designed around keeping access. So backdoor tools, for instance, once a system has been hacked, the backdoor tool will be installed. And one of the steps of the tool often is to actually delete the logs. The, the, the really clever ones will actually edit the logs in such a way that it only deletes the evidence of what they've done. So it looks like the rest of the logs still exist, whereas other tools will just delete them in their entirety and hope nobody notices. So there's just a little blackout period in the middle there? Exactly that. Right. And sadly, you don't really notice blackouts in your log set unless you've actually got a mechanism to look for that. Uh, a lot of logs these days, for instance, can send out a beacon or a heartbeat of some sort so that you can always know that the logging is working so that you never find that that blackout period. At least the blackout period cannot be longer than the heartbeat. Now, that only actually is useful to you if you're sending it to a different server, a log server of some sort, so that you can actually avoid um, that, that edit, so that you're not you know, having to actually contact each machine either. So now through this, do you have it so that the logs for centralization are being backed up constantly? Are you having it so that the logs are only written to the other server? 
is there a turnkey solution to make it so that it constantly backs it up? Um, the solutions in place today are usually around sending those logs in some sort of live format or batched format to an endpoint. The The actual source machine that is sending those logs will often keep a copy itself. Mm-hmm but it might not have the same uh, retention period. So a default Linux box, for instance, will store its logs for seven days right. uh, and then roll over those logs or delete anything that's older than seven days on a 24-hour rotation, if I remember correctly. I'm sure, were, you know, I'm sure your listeners can tell me if I'm wrong. The, since it is rotating on a, on a regular basis, sending them to another place allows you to choose a different uh, retention strategy or retention policy so you can actually keep them for a longer period of time, should you so choose. Then... If you've already got it centralized, then you can figure out from there what it takes to back them up or restore them if, uh, or, or do with them as you will. Keeping a local copy is useful. Keeping several copies is better. Right. So one on the point that registered or that uh, is the source of the log file, and then another copy on the central service that is gathering the log file, and maybe another copy in, uh, in other places as well, depending on how you're doing it. A, a lot of logging solutions these days can send to multiple destinations. So you, uh, a lot of people will set them up so that they will go to multiple destinations. So they've always got a copy of those logs wherever they happen to be. And do these solutions, the, the reason that I'm asking is you mentioned that on occasion, some systems, when they have like a catastrophic failure, if they restart, then they lose their log files. So yes, the log file is only as good as, as freak as recently as it was backed up or saved right yes which is why you try to get as close to live logging as you possibly can okay because then you will get every log entry right up to the point it loses its ip address right and there's other little bits and pieces on modern equipment as well so they will have uh like a cisco firewall i believe will uh, by default store the last 8k worth of logs it's got a buffer of sorts i i'm trying to remember i'm not absolutely certain whether that survives a reboot i believe the modern ones do but i'm not absolutely certain we're not going to so, hold you accountable for any of this <laughs> it's uh it's an interesting interesting path and in travel every single one of these devices behaves just slightly differently that finding your path through them is sometimes an interesting journey in and of itself right let's say so what are some of the cool things that you can do once you've started collecting these things centrally? Well, from the examples that we've already been given, uh, that we have already talked about, uh, the immediate one that's worth considering is the fact that now that you've got them in a central location and hopefully sorted by the time they were generated, then you're going to actually start finding other correlations almost immediately. Like, for instance, if you have that catastrophic failure on the server and you also notice that there's some sort of strange error message coming from the firewall in front of that server, maybe they're related. Maybe there's something there that where one caused the other or vice versa. So the ability to correlate the logs is the number one reason you want to centralize. The correlation becomes not only the IT troubleshooting side of it, but also a lot of the security explorations that you can now start doing to be able to figure out if any of these things that are happening have, an, uh, have a security implication. Are they an actual risk to the running of the of the computers, of the services, of the business itself? At the start, we used the example of a login server to kind of answer Max's question. Mm-hmm. The, the fun stuff that you can do with it kind of depends on what exactly you're looking for and what you can find, right? So if, for instance, you've got a login server and you're not, you don't have any kind of lockout, you can see failed attempt, failed attempt, failed attempt, failed attempt. 
and then eventually they get in, which means that they're probably trying to brute force the password. You can try and infer these kind of things from the log files that you have. And then at that point you might realize, oh, maybe I should make it so that they can't have infinite attempts. Yes. You can infer all of these kind of things from it, right? Yes, absolutely. And being able to do that across machines is actually of big interest these days as well. So being able to do a failed attempt on machine one, failed attempt on machine two, failed attempt on machine three, and then a new ID, failed attempt on machine one, failed attempt on machine two, failed attempt on machine three, and so on and so forth. So that level of correlation becomes possible as well. So if they're actually trying to purposefully find a way to deceive you, to make their activity less noticeable in such ways, then you've got a chance at it. You've got a chance to notice it in a centralized logging activity. So it does sound like a little bit of a needle in a haystack, though, right? How oh, do you find yes. these things out? And, you know, me personally, I'm lazy. I don't like to do the same things over and over again. Reviewing logs from thousands of sources that's gigabytes and gigabytes worth of information sounds horrendous. How do we prune that down to be something more manageable? Well, the next step from there is to actually find or build, if you prefer, some form of solution that will be able to deal with some of this stuff on some sort of automated method. Now, the tools out there are loosely referred to as SIMS or SEMS, the Security Event Management, Security Incident Management Systems, or SEAM, if you prefer, which is the Security Event and Incident Management System. So what these devices do is they gather all these logs and then they do the first pass analysis to try to figure out if there's anything in here that is wrong, that is questionable activity, that is need that even just stuff, stuff that needs to be alerted on. So the idea is that you can go about looking at the logs in such a way that the important stuff kind of bubbles to the top. So you're looking for a way to say, well, this server over here is important. It's important to my business that this server keeps running. So if this server generates, let's say, any error message, then I want an alert in my email or I want you to SMS my phone or whatever it happens to be. So you can actually start building out those kinds of alert sets so that you're not necessarily looking at everything at any given moment in time. You're absolutely correct. It is it is kind of looking for a needle in a haystack, but I'd, I'd go as far in, in a lot of situations is actually kind of more like looking for a needle in amongst other needles. Uh, so the magnet's not going to help there. No, no, sadly not. Neither is the fire, as uh, <laughs> as our friends at Mythbusters pointed out. Gathering all this information in a centralized location, that centralized location could be a commercial product like a SEM, and then building upon that to actually try to draw out of there what you find important, or what anybody on your team finds important, or what anybody in IT in your organization finds important and then kind of bubble that up and alert on it in some form so that an action can be taken preferably before it becomes a big problem. So I'm supposing that Sims or Sam's or Seams or whichever <laughs> one you choose, I, I'm supposing that they have a variety of different default filters that you can apply to look for things. Absolutely. Um, I'm really liking that we've already mentioned the, the forensics part of it. Wherein, if you're looking for a specific problem, it may not fall in under any of these. That's correct. Well, the scariest part is that, let's say, as you start examining these logs for security issues, security issues that are successful, like, for instance, a successful penetration of a particular machine, a successful compromise, may not generate an error log at all. 
Mm. As a matter of fact, it's less likely to generate an error. So finding those kinds of things is, is actually quite difficult under a lot of different circumstances. Then you have to look through the logs to find things that worked. That's correct. And are still unusual. Oh. That's kind of the key piece, being able to actually determine what is unusual. One of the things that I do, one of the things I realized really early in all of this is that at the end of the day, as good or bad as these SEMs are, sadly, the brain is still in the chair. So just looking at the logs on some sort of format on a daily basis, some subset thereof, it doesn't have to be the whole thing, and getting used to looking at or, or seeing what you see. Because you yourself, as you start and try to figure out what these logs are, will be able to pick out just by human nature pattern matching what doesn't seem to belong. And it's easier for you to do it as the users of the systems, as as an IT person, than it will be for any automated system. Now, that being said, there are a lot of other mechanisms coming up. There's the machine learning stuff and whatnot, but let's not go there just yet. Right. So as you learn what your environment looks like and as you learn what kind of logs your environment generates, one would hope that just simply viewing these logs, even if you were to just say, here is a list of IP addresses that connected to me on a daily basis, might give you an idea of when something goes sideways. All right. So to paraphrase, get used to your machines and their environment and the distinct personality that the log files will have. So as you go down and looking at these logs from now a security point of view, you're starting to look for other things that may or may not be, um, well, a security concern, I guess, is the best way to put it. So you use the example, for instance, where you see a particular source coming in and tries to log in, fail, 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 success which is a very valid thing to look at because if you do see that, it's worth trying to figure out what happened there. But the other one is when you find two different machines where the same person is logged in from two different countries. Right. Especially if that's happened in a time frame, because you've got timestamps for each one of these log entries in a time frame that is not travelable between those two countries. Now, maybe it's nothing to be concerned about, but maybe somebody has gotten their hands on that password and is logging in at the same time as your real user. Neither one of those would necessarily generate an error, but it's definitely something worth looking at. Yeah, absolutely. Another one that I like to take a look at uh, <laughs> when I'm bored and need more things to look at <laughs> uh, is uh, the firewall logs. So firewall logs that generate denies, I'm actually kind of uh, interested in because... Well, let's pretend that you are a shop that does nothing but windows. If you run nothing but windows, chances are, I mean, probably not, but chances are that uh, you don't have any services that run SSH. Now, let's pretend for a moment that that is true. Now, I have a feeling that you might have some SSH for switches and whatnot, but let's put those aside for the moment. If you find yourself in a situation where you're looking at a log file coming in from a firewall where a particular set of IP addresses or even a single IP address has been denied access to port 22... SSH to multiple destinations, then maybe that is something worth looking at. It could be an SSH probe, but if they're trying to contact already an unadvertised service that you don't even offer, maybe they're trying to do more. Maybe that is the start of a reconnaissance and you should look further to see if that particular source, for instance, is trying to do anything else. So th this is where I have robots do work for me, right? Absolutely. This is a good place to have robots. How do you uh, start to classify these things? Because you have to give the robots the intelligence to do stuff. Do you park things on a suspicious list and then move it over to a naughty list if they really ramp up? 
Well, there's a couple of different techniques for doing it. The easiest one to implement, if you're if you're trying to build your own rule sets, the easiest one to implement is to actually have some sort of simplistic script that takes, let's say, the last, oh, I don't know, uh, half hour, 20 minutes, 10 minutes of logs, and looks through all those logs and tries to figure out if there's an IP address in there that with, with more than one connection attempt that has been denied on more than one destination IP address. So that, for instance, would get you the SSH possible scan and then do something with that, like send an email, put mm-hmm. some, put open a ticket, you know, whichever way your organization or you yourself prefer to work. In my explorations, I'll usually start with send an email to myself so that I can see what's going on, uh, do the research on that source, figure out whether it's what it is, where it's coming from, if it's ever if I've ever seen it before. And then if that turns out to be more often than not valid uh, or something bad or I've confirmed that it's constantly bad, then maybe I'll actually step it up, open a ticket, get the right people in place or even just outright send a entry to the firewall itself and say, you know what, this guy's up to no good. Let's deny all access from that IP address. I'm cutting you off. Would you do that in an automated way? Yes. Yes, absolutely. So I've heard of something called fail to ban. Is that the type of thing that you would do? Yes, fail to ban is it does pretty much exactly that, except what it looks at is failed logins on a particular server. So if fail to ban blocked the uh, attempts at people trying to log in and failing a lot. So it's it's a configurable threshold and then took that and told all the other machines in its scope and said, I have blocked this source IP address because he has failed to uh, log in multiple times. And it, it appears to me like an attack. And you should do the same to all the other machines around it. That would be kind of closer to what I'm thinking about. So fail to ban, just much more customizable macro level, tons of intelligence in there. Yes, tons of triggers anyway. Uh, It's really hard to say that it's actually intelligent. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so fail to ban is what, like a third party piece of software that is run that will monitor your firewall or update your firewall rules to reject IP addresses? Fail to ban is a open source piece of software. I believe it's open source. It's free anyway, that runs on Unix type systems. And what it monitors is the actual local log for authentications. And if a particular user tries to log in multiple times and fails, it assumes it's an attack from the same source and then sets up a local, I believe, host-based firewall rule to deny access from that source IP. Okay, very cool. No problem. I think it has a couple of other extra features as well, but that's the key piece. That's that's pretty useful. Max, will will you throw that into the show notes? Sure thing. Where where would they find them? Hmm. That's a good question. I think it would be in-security.org slash EP039. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, so who would have thought that what the past few years of your life is more than one show can hold. Uh, (laughs) I, I think that we've done a really good job laying down the fundamentals for people. We might have to have you on again to talk about some (laughs) of the new stuff you're doing. Absolutely. Uh, but I think that we're, uh, pushing our, our frame here. So I'd like to thank you for coming on to the insecurity show and giving people an excellent, uh, overview of, 
logging in general and some of the cool neat tricks that can be done with it absolutely not a problem i'm very uh i'm very pleased to be here awesome thanks so much for coming out just wanted to mention that uh as the the key pieces that i've been working on the really cool stuff if you will uh is available on youtube under the uh the b-sides toronto channel besides to and more is coming up there so a lot of the volume that i deal with on a regular basis find them under the title logs and tactical defense and uh, that'll give you a great advanced feature set of the kind of stuff that uh, that i and my team have been exploring in this regard and we'll definitely put links to that in the show notes as well cool the b-sides talks are rather technical maybe this would act as a primer to get people there to understand kind of the next components of work that's happening there. Yes, uh, they are quite technical, at least, you know, my talks are. But what I would strongly suggest for anybody that's actually eyeing this is just start with getting your logs to a central place and looking at them. And it doesn't even matter what that is. Like, I'm not necessarily saying go out and buy yourself a tool or any of that kind of stuff. There are free solutions and free versions of things that you could put into place just to get them there. And then look, just look. You will find things worth investigating. And if nothing else, the one thing that you will learn very rapidly in doing that is what your environment actually truly looks like. I would like to know outside of the the B-side talks, is there anything else that... Uh that you have upcoming that you want to talk about? Well, one of the things that I've constantly been asking for is as people explore their logs and they come up with these little things that they see that are worth alerting on, I'd love to hear it. And how can they reach you? The easiest way is actually through Twitter, at A-L-L-A-N-S-T-O, Alan Stowe. And let me know. Let me know what you got on the go. I'd love to hear your successes. I'd love to hear your failures as well. Cool. I love hearing people contribute back. So I hope everybody does. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Alan. Thank you. This has been great. Thank you very kindly for having me. Usually I just say this to Matt, but there's one thing that all of us need to do this this week. Oh, what's that, chum? It's to have a great week. 